0: Monday, everybody. Welcome to the basement. I hope you guys had a good weekend. I sure as hell did for a lot of different reasons. Uh, But one reason is what I'm here to talk to you about today. Yeah. Uh, Holy shit. So I got a lot to say on the show. I don't even know how long I'm going to go for. It's just me here again today. Uh, But uh, yeah, I have a lot to talk about. But the topic. Is one thing, one thing alone. And if you follow me on social media, I'm not talking about the basement social media page. I think maybe today, actually, probably definitely today, because this is the new episode for today. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's a post up about it. But you probably, if you follow me on my personal page, Mr. Geiss, that's me on Instagram, you probably saw that I went to the theaters last Thursday night, a few days ago. And I sat down in a dark movie theater by myself, <laughs> and sat through what has I don't want to say it's turned into like a a cultural phenomenon. I, I don't want to I don't want to throw any big words around because because like I, there's people I know that you know maybe aren't in the big you know movie lover cinephile crowd, but like you know friends of mine that you know look to me for when there's a topic of movies that needs to be discussed or filmmaking in general. Th- there, there's, there's just it's. I'm here to talk about Skinamarink, is what I'm getting at. Skinamarink, that is a fun little title to say for a not so fun movie, and I mean that in the sense of I enjoyed the film, but uh, I didn't like enjoy it in a sense of God, what I I gotta get back to this thing. I, I do want to see it again, but I. <laughs> Uh, well let me explain here a little bit. I want to say it was a couple weeks ago I had heard about this film coming out and like Shudder acquired it. It's gonna be streaming on Shudder at some point. IFC Midnight is involved with it. They're a great uh genre film brand that's kind of this like that's kind of this like, you know, you know, a branch off of you know the IFC, you know, independent, you know. Everybody knows IFC. It's a fucking channel for Christ's sakes. Uh <laughs> But they acquired this film. I don't know where it came from. I don't know exactly how it got the buzz it got. But I know like it blew up on TikTok. I don't know if like part of the movie was uploaded to TikTok. Or uh, it showed up online or something. I don't think you can find it for free online anymore. I, I, I don't know. But TikTok subscribers and TikTok... TikTokers, whatever the fuck we're calling it, I, I, I'm an old man, you know, I tried TikTok, I haven't posted anything in like six months, but, <laughs> but like people on TikTok were raving about this as the scariest movie of all time. Now, that is a bold statement from a lot of people, and I don't mean any disrespect from a lot of people who don't have like the credentials, you know? Everybody tries to be a critic, and I know here I am, the guy, you know, with a podcast talking about movies. But like, I always try to say, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm no, I'm no film critic, even though I've been writing for a few websites lately. But I, I'm, I'm no critic. I just like to analyze things, and I like to give my two cents. And if something isn't for me, um, you know, I just go, it's not for me. That's my thing. Um, except for last week's episode with the Steven Seagal movies, I, I really had to, <laughs> I really had to do some shit talking. Uh, damn, I'm a hypocrite. But um so this is a movie like like, like people on tiktok were just talking about nonstop, and i i wasn't there for that i didn't hear any of that conversation i i I don't know and all of a sudden i think shutter dropped a trailer for it on their instagram and i was just kind of like what in the fuck is this and you know it says it's coming to the streaming service soon and you know but it'll be in theaters. And look, I live in Florida, as you all know. It's kind of a bubble with like kind of outside mainstream movies. That get, I mean, don't get me wrong. If you do some digging in Florida, you can find theaters that will play films like this, like the the, the indies that are trying to scratch that surface of getting some real big success. But like you know, cinema is that there's there's a lot of us down here, but um we really got to search for them for us cinephiles uh it's just retirees (laughs) um so all that being said uh i i just like searched it to see if it was going to be playing anywhere near me and actually was playing in two theaters close by uh for like two screenings on the sneak preview night i don't know what it's like right now because i think it's a limited theatrical run and then it's going to go to shutter I should probably get in, I'm five minutes in, I should probably get into what uh, Skin of Rink is about, and I'll get to that in just a minute. By now, you've probably Google searched it if you're listening, but um, so I seeked it out and I was just like, huh, I got to watch it, A, because I'm interested, and B, because last night, Sunday, uh, if you tune into Me and Generic, uh, me and Generic's other show, our YouTube Live Hot Genre Topics, uh, we touched on it a little bit. Uh, but I knew I needed to talk more. I could only really touch on it because we had a lot to talk about last night. So that's what this episode is for. It's completely devoted to me by myself talking about Skinamarink, a interesting horror movie. If you even want to call it a horror movie, yeah. I I, I like again. Like I, I was talking with someone. It's actually uh Justin Charles, uh, the Skate or Die Film Festival. I think he put out a review. He didn't like it. Uh, on his letterbox and whatnot. And he's just like, yeah, it wasn't for me, uh, but I can get why people might like it. And he even, we and him were texting a little bit briefly when I was just like seeking out people to talk to me about it because nobody had really seen it yet. Um, He was just like, yeah, it should have been 20, 30 minutes long, honestly. But he even said something like, hard to call it a movie, in quotes. And I was just like, yeah, there's something about this that like, I didn't feel like I watched a movie. Uh, Yeah, so... Let me dive in to what the fuck. I'm a little loosey goosey. I'm very stream of conscience today. I'm sorry if I'm a little, I don't know. Like I feel like what I'm about to, everything I'm about to say is very stream of conscience. It's not going to be too button up, uh, and that's what you all have told me you kind of like about this show. You like it when I get like this, but I'm gonna try to be as studious and educational and pretend I'm wearing glasses right now as I can. Uh, let's 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 talk about this movie and let's start with the plot. So this is off of just a, you know, Google. You just Google Skin a Rink And the plot says, Two children wake up in the middle of the night to find their father is missing, and all the windows and doors in their home have vanished. Uh, yeah. That is the plot. And the plot can be hard to follow at times. It's a very jarring movie out of the gate. I think I said, uh, I think I, I put up in a Facebook group that I'm in yeah, of horror film fans, And I remember just kind of saying like, I almost walked out 20 minutes in uh, because this movie is a hundred minutes long. And I remember thinking, how the hell are we going to last for a hundred minutes in a movie like this? This film is very avant-garde. If you know what that is? If you listen to this show, I'm pretty sure you know what avant-garde is. It is a very, it is a, it is some art house cinema here, some art house horror and This film does not rely on the killer with the bloody knife or the monster in the closet or the, I don't know, possessed person or the werewolves and vampires, zombies. This is not that kind of movie. Suspend your knowledge on horror as you know it. I hope I'm saying that right. Again, very stream of conscious here today. Uh, I was telling friends who are just like, are going to see it you know they've seen it by now but like i was telling friends i was texting with dave zagorski uh past guest on this show he's he was going to see it the night after i saw it and i and he's a big slasher movie fan for obvious reasons and i remember just saying like i i don't think you're gonna like this film because i i know the kind of horror you like and if you want to give this movie a shot you need to suspend your what you're bringing to the table for a hundred minutes and I don't want to say, like, you know, give it a chance, but yeah, like, give this thing a chance. <laughs> that was a weak argument. But because um, for a 100 minutes, there's really no shot in the movie that looks like it's something that should be in a movie. Uh, the film is very grainy. It has that film aesthetic, you know, with that crackling sound as well. And it doesn't necessarily, I don't know, it, it says like right after the title card, 1995 is, you know, when this whole thing is taking place. Um, so, you know, it also could be like a VHS camera of some sorts. But I, I don't know if they actually shot this on film or they used some sort of aesthetic. Either way, I thought if they or, or if they use some sort of filter over the footage, either way, like sometimes if you put a filter on it gives it that, like, very Instagram-y vibe where you're like, oh, that's that's clearly a filter. Like, th- this, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Trust me, I have reached out to the people behind this movie and would love to get them on to talk about it. I've, I've Twitter DM'd the director. As of right now, he hasn't responded as I record this, but by the time this episode drops, I don't know. Maybe I'll be in a better situation. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it has a very just grainy look to it, so it does kind of give it this, like cool, nostalgic feel, especially for a guy my age, the house that the film takes place in looks to be from the 1980s. Um, and, you know, 1980s, 1990s, obviously it takes place in 1995, supposedly. And so that's cool because, like, I grew up in a house like that. I mean, I, there's stairs in the house, so there's, it's two stories, but, um, you know, I, I didn't I didn't have that kind of house. But, like, I grew up in a house that probably had some sort of vibe like this. But the things that happen in the house here in this film didn't take place in my house. Thank God. Um, the camera shots, like I was talking about, you're just literally the camera is filming ceilings and lights and, um, furniture and like just hallways that, you know, have like this backlight from like a TV that's on and all this stuff. And, all these just shots that i i don't know it's very interesting to kind of see the fact that they were able to craft a 100 that that's an hour and 40 minute movie out of shots that are just that you know there's just camera on a creepy looking toy in the dark all this stuff and um yeah <laughs> I know maybe that sounds boring. How are you going to survive a feature-length film like that? You know, a 15-minute short probably might, you know, bode well. But uh, in my opinion, this film pulls it off. And uh, let me explain why. So, like the plot says, is it's about two children. It's a boy and a girl. And they realize their father is missing. Don't know where the mother is. It's just, you know, the father's missing and i don't, the the mother i guess is not present she's not there to begin with but they wake up in the middle of the night and their dad's gone and nobody really knows why and so that to me is like nightmare fuel as a kid like this movie the overall aesthetic gives you that feeling of people people on the internet are talking sleep paralysis um, night terror just the overall look of it just but for me, I never had sleep paralysis. I never had night terrors. thank God I heard it's an awful thing to deal with. Um, and but I did you know I did have nightmares a lot as a kid. I, I, I have dreams from when I was a child that still I can remember and some of them aren't necessarily nightmares. They might be like, yeah, maybe they were kind of nightmares because they did scare the shit of me, shit out of me. but uh, f- honestly, I look back them I and some of them are a little silly even though they're scary, but I, I, I had some dreams. I had some dreams that I think just kind of messed with me that I still have a recollection of when I was a kid. And so, you know, obviously there's the feeling of waking up in the middle of the night at two thirty, three o'clock in the morning as a little boy. And, you know, maybe someone was awake in the living room and the TV was left on and they're asleep on the couch and you kind of, you know, know what that looks like as a kid like this is a movie that has this weird feeling of safety and comfort of being in a home and being in your home while at the same time having anxiety about something awful is going on and you don't know what it is because you're a little kid you know like being an adult you grow you know you hear a sound in the middle of the night. Hopefully, it's not a, somebody robbing your house and it's just something fell. You can wake up. You can kind of rationalize what's going on. And then you can go back to sleep. As a kid, uh, you kind of get in your own head. And I think that movie really captures that really well. So these kids wake up and they learn. And then this is where it gets kind of trippy. Like um, they see that the doors and windows to the house have they're just like gone. And so they're trapped in their own house in the middle of the night. And uh, <laughs> I-, I won't dive too far into the concept with the doors being gone and whatnot. Because this, the, you know, that I might need to kind of review a little more on a, a rewatch whenever I decide to dare myself to rewatch this. Um, Yeah. So they wake up and, you know, as little kids do, and I think as a lot of little kids from maybe my generation, uh, we would kind of go watch cartoons to separate ourselves from whatever problems could be going on in the house. And I I have a faint memory of that. And I had a good childhood and I was I was raised well. There wasn't a lot of, you know, butting heads. There wasn't a lot of massive problems in my household growing up. I'll just open, the, you know, I, I mean, there are you know every family has their their stuff i'm not going to go into that but i i didn't come from a home where there was awful awful things where i had to go hide or something like i just want to put that out there um but you know th- that's what kids do they they when there's something maybe dramatic going on in the house that they don't understand they kind of I, I think, you know, I'm not a child psychologist, but, you know, we go off and we do our own little thing. We go play with our toys in the room when maybe there's a serious discussion going on in the living room. We go watch cartoons. And so these two kids sit down and they watch cartoons. Now I need to say another big point that is going to maybe rub people the wrong way, but it's going to prove how much of like an art house avant-garde movie this is. You don't ever see the kids. You never see their faces. There are a couple shots where you see the back of, uh, I think, the little boy's head. Um, you never see, you see their feet, like you'll see like their feet moving across the carpet, um, which again was pretty nostalgic cause I don't see a lot of houses with carpet anymore. <laughs> and I don't know why I'm throwing that in there, but, uh, like I grew up in a house with carpet for most of my childhood and, um, and they talk to each other and they'll cut to shots of like a hallway, but you hear the two children talking to each other, whispering to one another and, they're all like these brief little one sentence lines that just are unsettling they don't know what's going on they're asking each other questions and um yeah so there's that and eventually uh the daughter disappears i believe it's the daughter the girl disappears and i'll get into that in a little bit actually again stream of conscious here i don't really have a lot of my notes (laughs) i'm just trying to go over how i feel about this movie now like i said 20 to 30 minutes in i contemplated just going home leaving the theater i was like oh this is one of those kind of artsy fartsy movies that's just not going to be for me uh and but I was just like, so what I actually started doing, and I was alone in the theater. Now, mind you, <laughs> mind you, uh, now, if I may m- mention, I was alone in the theater when I got in. And I, like, immediately had, like, an unsettling vibe. About five minutes later, three very loud, obnoxious people came in and sat down, like, five rows below me. And they were just talking the whole time during the previews, and I was just like, ah. I want to try and enjoy this, Um, you know, damn it, (laughs) you know, maybe I kind of wanted to be alone, and I was just like, damn it, so like, and then 10 minutes in, they left, because they started getting creeped out, and then they came back, and then they left again, and then they never came back, and I got to say, I would have loved to watch this with some other people getting freaked out, because I started getting freaked out about 30 minutes in there is a pivotal point wait a minute before i go any further i've told you the plot i've told you the um i've told you kind of the aesthetic what you're in store for this is very art house. you don't even really see these characters you just hear dialogue and you kind of see things from their perspective um if you have not seen Marink* do not listen to the rest of of this episode, because now I'm going to go into the area of analysis of what I saw on screen and how it made me feel. Um, So please stop this episode, go track it down. It's in theaters right now. And if you're a Shutter subscriber, I believe it's coming soon. But um, I believe a lot of the... uh, At least a lot of I know my regular listeners on this show have probably caught on to this. And you know what? I'm not going to give anything away because there's no crazy... uh, twists or anything i just there's some stuff that happens that i think you need to see for yourself so uh where was i (laughs) uh yeah three people who are obnoxious that i kind of was annoyed with at first ended up leaving and not coming back and i really kind of would have loved to have some uh some people there to get freaked out with as a kind of a buffer even though i wasn't there with them i was by myself uh watching this movie by yourself probably also had an effect on will have an effect on you Watching this at 11 o'clock at night with no lights on in the house will have an effect on you at home when it's streaming. Uh, I would imagine even with an audience, like other people getting freaked out is going to like still have an effect on you. Um, so what about the 30, 35 minute point, there's a scene where uh, these, one of the kids goes upstairs. I believe it's the, it's the son and he goes upstairs, and there I believe he sees his father. And we again, we see the father, we never see the face. And he's told by him in a, in a whisper to look under the bed. And you know, he doesn't see anything. And then he, you know, he doesn't really see anything. And then, like, the father tells him, Look under the bed. And then he comes up and he looks at. Uh, across the bed is, I believe, to be his mother because it's a woman and she has her back turned. And I forget what she whispers there, but it's just very eerie. And then, like a jump scare kicks in, and the movie, the movie uh, progresses forward. I forget what that jump scare is. And this movie has about three or four jump scares that are based off of pretty much the great sound design of this movie. Again, this has a very grainy look. There's a lot of shots that like are filming a dark hallway and they hold on this dark hallway for a long time, not a long time. They hold on it for a, like, gosh, like a minute or two. And you're just kind of like trying to examine the screen. and You're waiting for something to jump out at you. If I may say this, nothing really jumps out at you, but it will do a cut where a sound, you know, there's a sound that happens and it just, it scares the shit out of you. That being said, I don't think that's the overall strength of this movie with its scares. I think the strength is in the atmosphere of this and the look of the movie. And, you know, the nostalgia of being in a house and watching cartoons late at night or waiting for the TV, the the cable to sign off for the night till five in the morning, which is something they don't do anymore because everything's a 24-hour cycle with television, even even with cable now. Um, But yet again, there is this anxiety that something is wrong. And it is around this scene where he goes up, where the child goes upstairs, that I realized, oh, we're not really in like a reality setting, I feel. There is something nightmarish and dreamlike going on. And if, and if you really think about nightmares and whatnot, we all get them. If you, if you think about, I, I, a lot of them don't make sense. Or they're hard to make sense of. I should maybe word that better. Yeah, they're hard to make more sense of them. There's just a lot of very jarring things going on and whatnot. And it is um, just things that are hard to explain. And that is this movie, 100%. There's all these weird camera angles where we're just looking at a ceiling. And there's something absolutely fucking just eerie about looking at this ceiling we're seeing the tv like in the in the distance and it's very shadowy around it and we're looking around the screen to see if we can see anything but nothing is like nothing's scaring us about it but what's scaring us is like the setting we were in and that takes me back to the you know nightmarish feel to it and the uh, night terror and sleep paralysis vibe that the film gives off and you know throwing a few jump scares but it was after that scene where he's told to look under the bed when I realized, oh, um, things are about to start to get rough. And they do. This I started noticing I was looking away from the screen a lot more or I was trying doing that thing, you know, in horror movies where you're in the theater where you're like, you're like looking at the screen but you're also kind of taking quick glances away so you hope you miss the scare. But you also kind of want to see what it is, which, you know, makes for great cinema, I feel, uh, you know, I have to give the film praise for that because, uh, you know, that can draw in kind of the mainstream crowd more than the art house crowd. You know, getting people to do that is a really really powerful technique to do as a director. Uh, So credit to the filmmakers on that. Yeah, but as this movie goes on, it just keeps going further and further down a dark wormhole of dread. And I just... I just had moments in the movie while I was watching this and nothing is happening on screen that like jumps out and scares you. But I just was going like, I need this movie to end. <laughs> I need the goddamn credits to roll. I'm looking at like the time. Like I, I turned my phone on. I was the, I usually turn my phone off in the theater. I was the only one in the theater. I turned my phone back on. I'm like looking at the time and I'm like, okay, I, the movie started around this time. So there's gotta be like this amount of time left. But what really grabbed me was I needed to see like how we get out of this, or even if we do. And uh, there's a few more points to hit. Uh, the main character child, uh, the main character in the movie, the little boy, uh, also gets an injury, which I'm not going to go into. He, he very much gets harmed. But again, we don't see it. We just kind of hear it. And he ends up calling 911. And it was at that point where he calls 911, and this is probably the last 20 minutes of the movie where I was like oh, okay, um, something's going to happen. Like, cops are going to come. <laughs> Ambulance is going to come. Everything's, you know... I know nothing's going to be resolved, really. It's a horror movie, but, like, something's going to happen. You know, we'll get something here. We'll, the, the the monster that seems to be harming us is going to, you know, show its face. And, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know, but I was like, okay, so we're, we're kind of maybe back in reality because for a solid 35, 40 minutes, I was like, I have no idea where we are going. And... Um, even though I'm just getting shots of a house. No idea where we're going. And then the ending of this movie is so utterly chilling to me that I'm looking over my shoulder as I talk about it. uh, And I just, I have the image in my head uh, of it being talked about, uh, of what I'm looking at on screen. And I shit you not, I was looking again looking away and looking at it and like oh like oh my god just unnerved me so much and i'm going to explain what that was in a minute because now what i want to do if i've even done a good job so far again stream of conscious episode here uh i want to analyze like point for point in this movie what happens and how i kind of reacted to it so like i said Movie starts with a lot of weird things going on. We hear a phone call uh from the dad. And um and then we, you know, move to like these two kids that are supposedly wandering around the house and realizing their parents are gone. Like, you know, they look, turn the lights on and everything. And then they go watch TV and then they start going to other rooms in the house and see things that are just very strange and eerie. And um Then there's a couple of jump scares. And then I get to that ending, which I'm going to talk about in just a few minutes here. Uh, But let's dial it back. I'm going to hit some beats here in the movie that I didn't maybe get last night or went over my head. And as I've been thinking about it all goddamn day, and I don't know if this is right or not. I'm not I'm not the filmmaker behind it. But I was just going, oh, maybe that's what was going on. So here I go. For starters, I think this film is about childhood trauma. And honestly, I think it's even about abuse. I think uh, the father is an abusive father, even though we never fully see him. And we never fully um, see him commit physical harm to his children. We never hear it either. Well, I take that back. I think we do hear a child fall, I believe. Or maybe I don't know. I can't remember clearly. But we do hear something that signifies an injury of a child. And uh but I think the dad is an abusive child and this is about two children living in a home with an abusive father. And yeah, so and like kind of knowing that plot line, oddly enough, as dark as that, you know, sin you know, synopsis of the of what may be really going on in the the movie here that kind of makes me settle into it a little more going like okay i, I know what i'm in store for but it, it's so it's such an avant-garde style movie that i just you know you kind of forget those things but if you anybody who's watched you know a lot of art house cinema a lot of avant-garde stuff you know if you can figure out what this movie's about outside all the crazy camera work these, these shots that are very kind of unsettling and jarring, even though there's nothing really in them, it, it, it settles you a little bit into kind of trying to break down the movie a little more. So, in my opinion, this movie is about uh, two children living with an abusive father. But that's not all. I would say a lot of that narrative is... Um, really there like you kind of miss that maybe with the uh, the whole aspect of the dad but you definitely feel these children are in danger and it's not just you know the fact that they've been abandoned it seems let me explain so at the very beginning of this movie there's something that went completely over my head and i just mentioned it a few minutes ago uh, the father, I guess, is on the phone or something. Again, we don't hear him, or we hear him, but we don't see him, but we know he's on the phone. I don't know if he's talking to 911. I don't know if he's talking to the mom or something, but he basically says Kevin had an accident, but he doesn't need any stitches, and Kevin is the little boy, I believe. Uh, and I realized this after rethinking it you know, a couple shots prior, we hear like something tumble or fall. And we hear a little boy crying. And so then I kind of thought, okay, little boy fell down the stairs. Dad is calling about it or something. But then thinking of how I view the father character, who I barely see in the movie, um, I get the vibe again. He's abusive. I get the vibe that he hurts his children. Uh, Not cool. Happens so fast that it's easy to forget. And plus, it's at the beginning of the movie. And if it's your first time seeing it, you just like... Might even just throw that thing away. Like you're not, you're not even thinking about that. Now, what kind of happens from then on forward is that that the movie gets a li- you're able to again figure out a little more what's going on, like with the 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 parents being gone. Like you're able to follow along with that for probably the next ten or fifteen minutes. But what I think is really going on is Kevin, the little boy fell down the stairs and was probably knocked out cold uh, or harmed, even like broke his neck, maybe even maybe even dies off of a fall down the stairs or he falls into something like a coma. I don't know yet. But the bottom line is, is things get darker and darker and darker and darker and darker <laughs> as the movie goes on. And um, I wanna believe that he either dies on the the steps or on the the fall, or he, you know, is in a coma because of just kinda how foggy things get moving forward. Because if you go back to the beginning of the film with the opening credits, you know, like, the movie opens like a movie. There's the opening credits that kinda fit the tone and aesthetic of the film, but, you know, if you feel like you're getting set up for a film, And, you know, the opening shots just kind of feel like any sort of opening establishing shots of something prepping to bring you into a plot. But then you get this. And so maybe this is about the child that is harmed that now he is very close to death. Now, with that concept, that makes sense for the fact that the parents are not around. Um, You know, their father has gone missing. Uh, there is obviously a sibling, but the sibling, that the sister, comes and goes throughout the movie. I forget she's there sometimes, and I, I'm wondering, like, are we seeing this perspective from the little boy? Is he kind of our POV of this, or is it both of them? But I, I realized midway through, I was just like, oh, what? The? So we're just with the boy. It's not the sister. The sister's kind of more of a supporting character. I think the sister's name is Kaylee. Um, but she's not as close by as maybe you would think uh you know a sibling would who's close in age with this kind of situation of them being abandoned in this home. So again, that makes me think that like, oh, he's in this dark place where he's not really in reality, but he hasn't necessarily died yet. Now in terms of the sister, and this is a heavy spoiler alert, uh there is a scene where the where the little boy wanders off into I, I don't know if it's the basement or if it's um, a closet somewhere in a room, but it's somewhere midway point in the movie when she stum- he stumbles across the sister who uh, he sees like her feet first and then it's a jump cut with just deafening audio tone of a girl and her, I, I, I can't describe it and it sounds a little more grotesque than it actually is, but it, it is very unnerving to look, but there's nothing bloody or grisly about it. But like it is a it is a little girl's face, and it's like the eyes. There's no eyes there, or no mouth. Um, it's just like there's skin over where her eyeballs and her mouth should be. Um, it, was, it was like probably that was one of the jump scares where I I fucking leaped out of my chair and like I think my keys went flying out of my jacket pocket. So I feel like that is a metaphor of the sister no longer being allowed to speak to the little boy. Um, maybe based off of you know an abusive parent i don't know or he's just now losing contact with his sister cuz he's drifting further and further into a very dark place and you know the lights have gone out really in this movie it's just, it's just darker and darker and you know everybody believes in going to the light uh when you die um so therefore like i i don't think he's dying yet, but I think he's sinking into what would be a coma or something, or he could be dying and he's now fallen into this deep morbid thing. And that's what happens to us when we die. Kind of one of those like really fucked up theories of, you know, nothing happens when we die. It just turns into this dark non-existent thing. I don't want to dive too far, far into that mind. Fuck. But yeah, uh, it is also, there's also a scene, like I mentioned earlier, where the little boy, uh, hurts himself physically. I believe he harms his eye. Uh, Again, you don't see it. You just kind of, he hurts himself and he makes like a 911 phone call. Uh, Upon rethinking that, I want to believe that maybe Kevin is in reality on a gurney somewhere and they're working on him. Uh, But he is, you know, slowly losing it. The lights have gone out and it's not looking good. You know, maybe he's being operated on Or something and he feels that in whatever kind of mindset or realm he may be in. I know I'm getting into really trippy shit right now, but uh, that just kind of made me think like that maybe that's what's going on in reality. Uh, He's, you know, on a table probably maybe close to death and they're trying to revive him and they've had to cut him a little bit to do whatever. Now, what follows later in the movie is there's a there's a cut to black, and then I think when we come back up from black, Kevin, the little boy, is upside down. He is now I think like we we see him like on on the ceiling, like his feet are on the ceiling and whatnot, or 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 just like everything that should be on the ground is up on the ceiling or, or something like that. And I think that's just a metaphor for everything in his world has now been upside down. And then it cuts to you know, we see this shot of this pile of Legos and everything and like all his toys and those, there's like a lot of frequent cutbacks to these toys and these Legos being in front of a TV. And, you know, I I think that's just like, there's a nostalgia to it of just like playing with toys as a kid. But like, eventually you kind of distance yourself from all the toys you had growing up. And, uh, one thing, you know, there's, You know, one thing I realize is, you know, this is a this is a child. You know, he's never gotten a chance to really separate himself from that. And they cut to this scene of there's all these toys and we get further and further and further away from it. And it says like something like five hundred and something seventy something day I think five hundred and seventy two days on the screen. And like the 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 the, I haven't really analyzed what five hundred and seventy two days means, but I know that like these toys get further and further away and hence he is maybe falling further and further away from himself, hence maybe he's beginning to pass away. There's a shot of a woman slowly disappearing that's sitting near him, and she's facing the other way, and I believe that's maybe supposed to be his mother, who, you know, maybe now disappearing from him and everything he sees. There's also some uh, shots of photos with distorted faces, uh, it might be Kevin, it might be his sister, it's hard to tell, but basically I think that symbolizes like, you know, relationships, maybe, if there are if people Kevin knew that kind of are starting to dissolve and turn into nothing, and there's no memory there anymore. And then we cut to a shot of like this long, narrow door that we're slowly moving into, that like it turns, us like a 180 But we keep moving closer to it. And then, you know, you go past the door. And then there we are on the final shot of the movie. That to me, you know, leading up to the end of this movie, like, while I'm going down this fucking wormhole of cinema or whatever the fuck I'm watching, I am going, the ending of this is going to fuck me up. And I have to be prepared for it. And I really think out of anything, any of the jump scares, any of just the little kind of moments of just uneasy, I don't know what's going on, just this is the moment for me that I feel like is going to stick with me for a while. So here it is. When we get past the door, we are faced with just like this, it's a dark, the screen is dark, but it has like a reddish glow to it and Kind of just very faintly, like, left of middle to the side of the screen, we see, like, a face. But it's just very fuzzy, but we know it's some sort of face. And the sight of it, like, is just, it just gives me nightmares. It just gives me so much nightmares. But then uh, this face talks. This face asks him, what is your name? And it just says, I believe it says, what is your name? A few times over and over again. I don't know if we actually hear Kevin respond. And then uh, the face tells, which I believe is is Kevin, to go to sleep. And I, I think it says it multiple times, go to sleep. And I believe this is a metaphor to say that Kevin has now died. This little boy has now died. And... Um, I believe the face is supposed to be a metaphor for death in itself of, you know, not death with a big long robe and a hood covering its face and it's holding one of those, I even forget what those tools are. Um, But I, I believe this is like a metaphor for death and what we're seeing is death talking to you or death talking to Kevin, you know, asking for its name and then telling it to go to sleep. This is just kind of terrifying to think about if you are thinking about it in that way. This is just how I've perceived it. Like thinking, huh, we're literally maybe witnessing from the point of view, someone happens to be a child, their last kind of moments of comprehension of what they're thinking about or, and what their, their soul is experiencing. And they're being told by what, again, I believe is death itself telling you to go to sleep. Now, obviously, I've been scouring the internet and whatnot, and I found a few YouTube videos, and there's actually a few YouTube videos that pretty much kind of people just give them reviews that thought like what I thought. And somebody left a comment on a YouTube video that straight up is different than what I just said, but it, it gave me chills, and I need to read it right now. And I think this guy, whoever this, you know, guy leaving YouTube comments, or guy or girl, I I think he did it on a few different videos, but um, he said this might have been. This is at Wild Beast eight five zero nine. If you're out there listening, this was this YouTube comment literally sent chills up my spine. He said this might have been because I watched this movie alone at two a.m. But I interpreted the face at the end of the movie as a fourth wall break. Uh, The face stares directly at the viewer, saying "Go to sleep," hinting. Hinting now the movie is coming to a close, but when it asks, what's your name? I feel like it was speaking to the viewer directly as it has finished its business with Kevin and wanted to move on to another victim, that victim being you. And that shit fucking messed me up, man. That, Oh my God. I, I read that. Like, and I was, I, I, Oh my God. Just, oh my God. Like just, yeah. So I'm just going to go with the fact that he was just dealing with death. Um, yeah, there has been a lot of talk within the last couple weeks to the past like 24 hours as I record this 24 hours. Who knows what's being said over the weekend about this movie, Skinamarink. Um and I the, the you know, I think the term Skin of a Rink, it comes from I think the cartoons that are playing uh, which is an interesting take. I believe there's uh, the melody to Skin of a Rink, if people know that song in one of the cartoons. I, I don't know, because I know they credit it a lot in the opening credits. And I actually, I, you learn a lot about how the movie got made, I think, in the opening credits. I believe this was funded on Seed and Spark, which is a great crowdfunding service. And because they, they thank a lot of their contributors on Seed and Spark, um, the filmmakers do. And I, I mean, that, that's what it said. I don't, I don't know the full details on that. Um, yeah. Uh, so I apologize if my analysis was a little dark. On this one. But this movie. It, it's definitely an experience. There's been some negative reviews. There's a lot of one stars out there. Half stars. People just kind of didn't get it. Or it just wasn't for them. Uh, it, I, it's almost like I wish I didn't get it. I Can, like, can you imagine if I walked out of the movie theater. 20-30 uh, minutes in. And just moved on with my life. Because I just have been dwelling on what this movie's trying to say for so long. And I think that makes it a great piece of art. And it, it's awesome, I think, in this day and age, despite you know this movie having a very dark subject matter, um, that you know movies like this can get onto the big screen. These little independent films can get onto the big screen. I think it says a lot about where we're at with making movies and also that any independent filmmaker, myself included, doesn't have any excuse. Just get to work try to make something cool. Yeah, some people are gonna hate it. Some people a lot of people might really love it though. And I think Skin of a Rink is a lot of people are calling it found footage. Is it Blair Witch? Is it, you know, paranormal activity? Uh, I haven't seen and I don't think it's found footage. I don't know what this is. Again, like it it's hard to even classify it as a movie. But um I don't think it's found footage because i feel like there's always that element of you know someone is controlling the camera and then the the character is someone controlling there's a character controlling the camera that you don't see as much but you know someone's holding a video camera that to me has always been found footage um but this i don't know who's controlling the camera we're we just seeing point of views we're we just seeing these random shots we're we just seeing Stream of consciousness, hence this episode. Holy shit, we have come full circle. My mind is blown. Dude, what if I'm in a coma? <laughs> um, regardless, I don't want to make too many jokes. Because I feel like this movie also... And again, I've reached out to the director. I haven't heard back. I'd love to get him on the show. Um, I know he's done a few interviews. I don't know like what's going on for press with this movie, but interview wise but i'd I love to get him on the show uh pick his brain because the crafting of this movie is so amazing um i wonder how long it took them to make it too but i also there was some there was a very personal feel to it i don't know i you know if if, if this director's kind of maybe channeling inner demons or something on the under the screen there was something that i really felt at its core not just with these, you know, certain kind of shots. And the more I think about the shots and how they're just filming, um, you know, just random things in the house, it does kind of feel like they are from a child's perspective. You know, we saw things very differently. You you, you see the world differently as a child than you do as an adult. That's That's a thrown out fact that everybody's talked about time and time again. But I really feel like, you know, The way these cameras have these just subjective shots and just very, you know, avant-garde style filmmaking. And we're just looking at a wall. Don't know why we're looking at this baseboard, but here we are. You know, I don't know. It feels like it's through the eyes of a child. Um, So, you know, that's my take on that as well. Why the, the, um, you know, cinematography of this movie is so just not like anything I've ever seen. I am so happy I saw a movie like this and I'm so happy I'm able to get on here and talk about this absolute um, interesting film that is a horror movie. It's being marketed as a horror film and boy does it really kind of shake me to my core for a hundred minutes of really not seeing too much, just a lot of very unsettling shots. Where you're waiting for a monster to jump out but nothing ever really does or does it i don't know like it's it's i think if this film gets the traction it does uh i think we could be talking about it for a while because again just like i started at the top of this episode TikTok people have been talking about this for a few weeks um and i think now that it's getting a theatrical run i think a lot more people are going to talk about it on the internet and I think when it pops up on Shudder, a lot more people are going to talk about it. I don't look if you, I thought my balls were big. I thought I could fucking sit in a theater by myself, unfazed by this. I was wrong. <laughs> I thought my balls were big. That might cut that part out. <laughs> but uh, I, I was very wrong. This, I, I have not felt this way about a movie in a while. I have not sat through a horror movie like this in a while, where I, I just, I had to kind of look away, but with all that being said, um, if you missed it in theaters, and you have Shudder, check it out on Shudder, watch it at, watch Skin Rink at like 11 o'clock at night, I dare you, with the lights off, I dare you, this is my dare for all you listeners, um, alright, I've talked by myself long enough, uh, that's today's episode, track down Skin Uh, let me know, reach out to me through whatever, after you've listened to this episode, I probably didn't do that great of a job analyzing. I tried to do my best. Um, but let me know if you've seen it and you like it. I'd love to keep the conversation going about a movie like this and champion it. Even if you didn't like it, reach out to me. I don't mind having conversations like that. Anyway, see y'all next week. Take care.